Welcome to another episode of Before You Kill Yourself. I'm your host, Leo Flowers. Uh, how, how are you? Yeah, you. Yeah, well, you know, wiping down a counter, sitting on a couch. You know, maybe you're walking. How, how are you feeling? Oh, really? Oh, yeah, that, that sucks. Huh. How'd you sleep last night? Oh, yeah, yeah, me too. I always have to get up and pee in the middle of the night. I have to, I know fluids for Leo Flowers after <laughs> after four o'clock. Uh, well, I'm, I'm glad you joined us. I'm glad you're still here with us. I have, I have an exciting show for you. We have uh, comedian, actor, podcaster, Brian Callen, uh, who is most known for his recurring role as Coach Miller on ABC's Schooled and The Icebergs, which he has played since 2014. Callan has also appeared in such TV and films as Kingdom, Two Broke Girls, Ride Along, Hangover 1 and 2, Sex and the City, Old School, Mad TV, Entourage, Californication, and many more. A veteran headliner, Callan performs in theaters and comedy venues across the world, but most often can be seen at the Comedy Store in Los Angeles, his third one-hour comedy special, Complicated Apes, topped the iTunes charts upon its release in March 2019. Additionally, Callan is co-host of the top-rated iTunes podca- podcast, The Fighter and the Kid, alongside Brendan Schaub. Brian is also a regular on the Joe Rogan Experience and Fight Companion podcast. Today's episode, ladies and gentlemen, is a doozy. Uh, Callan is, uh, is a brother I break bread with frequently. Uh, he's been kind enough to take me on the road with him uh, for, for many years, and it is the reason for my development. So today's episode, we really, we really get deep. We just talk, man. We, we wax philosophical. We talk about uh, mastery versus range. We get into personality and purpose we, we, we get into his divorce. He, he just recently got divorced. And I know, uh, I know a lot of you are going through a lot of transitions right now, whether uh, you're, or you've gotten a divorce or about to get a divorce, maybe you're separated um, or a job loss. So we, we get into how to transition from that and how to uh, find our identity uh, beyond the relationship, beyond the job title. Uh, we, we also get into uh, how to sit with your emotions because whether we were married or, or single or it transitioning between it, we're at all times uh, having to sit with our emotions and learning how to do that as new things come up, as old things surface, as, current, as, as, as we're dealing with current things and, and the current climate. So we, we talk about how to sit with your emotions. We even get into uh, the lessons he's trying to instill in his kids. He is uh, a boy and a girl. And we talk about that. And then we have a, a really deep discussion on the hero's journey and, and what that entails. And because a lot, we're, it's all this is. It's all we're on. We're just on one big journey. And there's so much we can learn uh, from Joseph Campbell's uh, hero's journey. And then uh, we also 
discuss how to talk to yourself. I, I, I'm, I'm still working on that myself. Every day I, I take a, every, every day I go for a walk and I, I do some self-talk. I have some affirmations I say. There's some things I say uh, while I'm brushing my teeth and taking a shower because it's important, right? Because if we're not intentionally having a conversation with ourselves, then our subconscious takes over and is like, well, since you don't want to watch anything, here's what I want to watch, right? And so we have to pick the channels that, that, that we watch uh, and, and, and the voices that we listen to in our head so that the, uh, our, our nine-year-old self doesn't take over. So uh, this is a crazy episode. It's going to, see, it's going to start off like we're all over the place. You're going to be like, oh, that rocket's never going to take off. And then, boom, about 10 minutes in, we really get into it. But, but you know, we're just two kids having fun. So enjoy the episode. And once again, uh, if, if you are struggling with tragedies, traumas, or transitions, go to thrivewithleo.com for one-on-one coaching with yours truly. Uh, you know, because as we know, I started this podcast because I – I struggle with all the things from depression, anxiety, uh, chronic suicidality. You know, for me, that's always, that's always on the table. And so if I want to teach you the coping skills and, and self-soothing techniques that I've incorporated so that I can, I can thrive to 100. That, that's my goal there. So uh, with that said, let's get into the episode. B. Callan, what's going on, brother? I'm good, brother. Let me just uh, take my shit upstairs and uh, let these guys watch a little TV. I got my kids with me. Uh, for, and, for, for, uh, for the listeners out there, look, we already recording. This dude Callan ain't never ready. He he I'm always he always getting ready. He always on his way. That's right. He, That's exactly he always right. setting up. <laughs> I'm always setting up. I try to do 50 people always laugh at me that way. I'm always trying to do 50 things at once because I love doing 50 things at once. Yeah. I, I just like doing everything. Like I always think about if I went back in time, I do this, I do this thing where I say, if I went back in time, I'd want to be a, I'd want to be, you know, probably a singer, but then I'd want to be a dancer, but I also want to be a boxer. A singer, a, a dancer, a boxer. Uh, and I want to be able to speak a bunch of languages. So there's no time for any of that. I'd no. probably just end up running in circles and being busy and getting nothing done. There's a difference between being busy and getting things done. Being productive. Yeah, absolutely. Correct. I, I, you know, Correct. There's, there's a power in saying no. You God. know what I mean? God, well, there's, 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 a, a, there's something visceral yes. about it. There's a power in saying no. There's a power in learning what not to think about, what not to indulge in, and getting really good at what one thing. Like sometimes the idea of getting really good at one thing will 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 broaden your understanding for everything. I, I you know, th- if you master one thing, I believe that the mystery of life kind of starts to. Uh, maybe dissipate a little bit, you know, like one of the things I love about learning anything, whether it's the piano, the drums, whatever it might be, martial arts, is that everything, when you first see it, seems like a dark room. It just seems like a dark room or a maze. And then when you learn it, you know, at least if you spend some time in earnest trying to understand it, 
you know, in about a year, it's like somebody gave you a flashlight and at least you can look, you know, you may never master it, but at least you can look around the room for a while. But sometimes if you, if you get good enough at something and all the lights are on in the room after, you know, 10 years of study or 20 years of study, you know, sometimes you can see other disciplines and, and they, they have an eerie recollection. It's like, I know, I don't know how to play concert piano, but I do know, I do have an understanding of what it would take to get really good at it because it's, it's a similar mindset, say, as it would be for other things. Um, right. Because it all requires the, the discipline and focus. Like if you can if you can discipline yourself and focus yourself enough on one thing, then that's transferable to anything. Well, that's right. And, and if you look at the difference, for example, between Olympic swimmers and regional swimmers, it's not it's not time spent in pool. It's not even that they practice harder. That's not true. So so what, what makes the difference between an Olympic swimmer and somebody who's a regional uh, competitor? The difference is that the Olympic swimmer spends his practice or her practice being very specific on what they're not good at. And so that for that one day or that week or that month, they're working on one specific thing in which they have deficit. And, and that's where excellent coaching comes in. That's the difference between. So it's like the, it's deep practice, correct practice exact practice is what is required for excellence not just practice you know what's so great about that uh is tom brady has a video where he's uh practicing throwing the ball deep passes and uh the interviewer says to his coach his qb coach uh when are you guys done like how do you when you guys finish for the day he goes when we see that he's gotten one percent better at just and it was just and they were just working on him turning his hips. That was, that was the Man. whole thing. He was dropping back, and if he could turn that hip uh, just a little sharper, just to be a little bit more efficient, and he says, once we see that 1% increase, we're done for the day. So every time we come out Damn. here, we're looking for one. And Ashtanga yoga, uh, the, the part of their practice in Ashtanga yoga, which is primarily used for people who are type A and, and people who uh, struggle with addiction, at the end of your Ashtanga yoga practice, it's it's incorporated that you do the thing you can't do three times. At the end of every practice, wow, you spend wow. a little bit of time doing that thing you can't do three times, and it's a well, it's, it's a powerful it's such lesson. A great discipline, yeah. yeah, it's a powerful lesson. You 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 saw the the number the two hundredth ranked tennis player. And then you watch the number one ranked tennis player. If, if you and I were watching them hit balls, we wouldn't be able to tell the difference. We wouldn't. You, you, you and I w- would, would not, most people, almost all people, including tennis players, unless you're high, high, high level, but most tennis players even wouldn't, the, you, you wouldn't see a difference in their strokes, in their power, in their body, in their speed, even in their intensity. It's, it is that, it is that minutia. It's that like that that laser focus on detail that creates champions you know um i i mean it's more it's also mindset it's also a, a, that type of thing but but technique wise i'm talking about you know roger federer doesn't practice six hours a day he does not in fact i have heard from people that know better that he'll practice an hour and a half maximum a day 
he hits the he hits balls and just grooves his stroke and makes sure he's he you know he's working on things. When when Rafael Nadal won Wimbledon. They were trying to congratulate him, and he was going, yeah, yeah, hold on. Let me just – he's talking to his coach. He goes, I feel like my grip next time should be a little bit turned this way. <laughs> so even after he won, he's trying to correct himself. Now, let me ask you, you this, Callan, because you and I – one of the reasons why I, I'm excited to have you on a podcast is we read a lot of maybe not the same books, but the same type of books, and we have a, a similar approach to learning in that we, we love to study broadly. And and then hmm. distill our ideas uh, uh, from from you know different resources you know from whether we're talking about reading Crime and Punishment to uh, Guns Germs and Steel to uh, I mean th- this you know, is why I miss, something I miss ridiculous. you so much this is why I miss you so much you're one of my my few allies and one of the great things about being on the road with you is we we'd always learn from each other <laughs> here's my yeah, question yeah. here's my question Callum. There, there are books that talk about mastery, like you said, you know, doing one thing and the importance of that. But then there are other books that talk about range. Like when you look at Leonardo da Vinci, he was a man of, of range. Uh, of, mm-hmm. uh, he studied different things. And then, and then when you talk about time put in, you had, like you had some writers who wrote eight hours a day. And then you had some writers who, who would write a couple hours, and they both produced great works. How does someone find what their uh, focus should be. Should, should they be spending eight hours? Should they be spending an hour? Well, look, man, I mean, you're talking about, there's a book called Range, in fact, by by my buddy, um, oh God, is it David? David um, Epstein. Um, and it's it's exactly about this. If you, if you look at some of the great, you know, Federer well, really didn't take tennis seriously until he was in his, you know, 15 or 16 years old. But he, he was always playing a different ball. He was always he was always involved. So so the the, the question becomes, it, it um, I would suggest that that is dictated. The amount of time you spend on a discipline is really dictated on your passion for it, on why you're doing it, and that probably is a combination of personality and uh, and purpose. Uh, you know, I think once you get to a point where you've mastered something, you know. Uh, you've mastered a skill. The rest is, is a reminder. I, I suppose that's probably the difference between, you know, especially if you're an athlete, I don't think your body can handle eight hours a day, four hours a day. As you get older, you have to be very economical with your energy. But Gabriel Garcia Marquez, the Nobel Prize winning author of A Thousand Years in Solitude of Solitude, and, and Love in the Time of Cholera, I mean, he's just, some people don't like his style, but there's no doubt he was an original genius. And he spent only four hours a day writing, only. He'd wake up, he'd answer letters and do things, and then from 12 to 4, no matter what, no matter what, he wrote. Hemingway was different. Hemingway was interested in hard discipline. Even though he drank like a fish, he would wake up and put a bottle of wine so the legend goes in front of himself or a whiskey. But he would write eight hours and he would always leave at the end of the, at the end of his writing session. He would always make sure to leave uh, a question or something he was trying to work out um, at the end of that. You understand he was trying to work something out at the end of it. 
if Picasso was trying to, I've heard of, of painters, whether they were Picasso or whoever, who probably would spend whatever amount of time it took to capture the expression in their subject's eye, in the subject of their mind's eye. Now, maybe that takes, you know, an hour and maybe it takes 24. You know, the, the, the problem, Leo, is that if you, we, have, we were raised, I was raised to believe that a real artist or anyone worth their salt should have almost no time to, to sleep or eat. You know, the, the agony and ecstasy by Irving Stone, I mean, Michelangelo had ribs. He was, he was so skinny. And I think it was Beatrice who said, you have to eat. And he said, no, I, I don't have time. Everything I have has to go into the marble, into the work. You know, that, that's like, that's so romantic. And we're like, geez, I wish I could be like that. I don't think that's sustainable. I, I mean, don't think that's sustainable. I mean, he lived to be 90. I, he, he might be on to something. I, I don't know. <laughs> maybe. Maybe. He lived, he lived, he lived, he lived to be an old guy. <laughs> yeah, Wynton Marsalis, the great, the, 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 the maestro, the great aficionado of the trumpet, who, who can do things, according to Harry Connick Jr., on the trumpet that you're not supposed to be able to do physically. That dude, no matter what, would wake up even if he was tired because he'd be up late nights talking to his brother and in his mind he'd go damn i gotta wake up early and practice this is gonna be a bitch tomorrow but no matter what he woke up and blew his reed and then worked his horn and some people just have a backpack of stamina they can just keep on going and maybe work like that begets energy i, I think it probably does it, it is something it about purpose. I mean, it's, it's like a, a car, you know, a, a mom sees a, a car like on, on her baby or whatever. She's able to pick the car up so that her child could get free. You know, like there's something yeah, 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 about yeah. that uh, when, when it's like when you're willing to sacrifice everything for the moment. Uh, it, yeah, it's, you're right. It's not sustainable because it's not like she could lift five cars, but she has enough in her to lift that one car that one time off of her kid and and we all have uh, a backpack of stamina as you say uh but but you know it's yes. limited to a few so, sometimes you feel like you're running out of time john coltrane got cancer he had so much fucking music inside of him and he couldn't get it out and he knew he only had a limited amount of time because i think coltrane worked in a steel mill and he probably was breathing in all that shit but coltrane got cancer and coltrane you, you know had just he could get he he would he was freaking out because he knew he had so much to produce and so much to create and only so little time so sometimes you you you're creating out of a sense of frantic desperation you know and and by the way you know if you want to get even deeper about it some people feel as though you know what what is what are the greeks you know, i think of socrates plato said what does man love man loves immortality well you know everybody wants to live forever you know you can't live forever but you can do two things you can have kids and you can leave a legacy you can leave a body of work you can leave uh you know jordan jordan's legacy is very important to him because it's a symbol of immortality i'm sure that michelangelo and, and then da vinci etc cetera, etc cetera, um, felt the same way, whether it was Mozart. I, I, I mean, Beethoven was, was deaf. He was sick. He knew he didn't have as much time. So, so sometimes people have this overwhelming need to stay alive, even though they know that they're not going to. 
Well, how do you do that? You have to you have to leave your indelible mark, your significant mark. By the way, that is, if you look at history, probably more of a male obsession slash impulse than it is a female one. Why? A lot of theories. A lot of theories. It might be that women also have to take care of children, and if they get too obsessed over something, their children die. I don't want to get into that. Well, I, th- I think there's These a there's, there's a there's like a physiological uh, aspect to it in that as as men we literally piss on trees. We're we're, we're like dogs. We we are literally leaving our mark, and and Fuck yeah. women don't really do that, you know. Uh, yep. And so I think it becomes well, they do it in a different in way, a different yeah, way, yeah. right? Right. So it yeah. becomes part of a mentality where physiologically women are thinking about creation, and and men are hmm. thinking about. Like, how do I leave a mark? How do I leave a, a, a legacy? Which in itself is ridiculous because all things come to an end. And a lot of great artists and, and their great works have been destroyed that we'll never, ever hear about. You know, we're, we're hearing well, about men, some men, of the greats. Men are destroyers, too. We are destroyers. We are destroyers. All the religions capture this. The, 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 the limitations of our of our existence. I mean, one of the problems of goddamn reality and one of the problems of existence is that it's so easy to destroy something and so difficult to build it. Think of a human being and how long it takes to become a human being, a fully, a full human being, a fully realized human being. Think about how long it would take to recreate St. Peter's Cathedral and, and, and give us, give a, give a thought to how easily and how quickly we could literally turn it to dust. You know, that's, that's, that's how, that's why things are so fragile in a way. As I get older, I, I become more, I'm just always, I'm more afraid. I get more afraid of new, you know, of I, these protests scare me everything because I, I worry that with destruction can come rebirth in something beautiful, but it can, but, but can also come bad ideas in, in place of, 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 of where better ideas could have been. So man, I, we're I, getting a little crazy all over, I, the place, man, all over the place. I love it. I, I want to unpack a couple of things. Let's, let's, let's reel it in on just a little bit. I love yeah. that. I forget who the writer was, the author that you said um, when he was writing would, would leave a little something for him to come back. Uh, to Hemingway, the next, Hemingway. Hemingway. Right. Earn, so, yeah. yeah. I've heard you mention that before in, uh, I don't know if it was in conversation or listening to you on other podcasts, um, but I've incorporated that concept in how I digest material and also in how I wake up with a purpose every day. So the way I digest material is like if I'm watching a show or reading a book that I find riveting and fascinating and I can't wait to see what happens next, I end it there. I stop it. I go do something else uh, because the excitement, the adrenaline of what happens next then propels me into getting my next task done. Right. And, and it gives me right, something to right. chew on until I come back to it. Right. So like if I'm watching like billions, one of my favorite shows, like I'd be 20 minutes in. I'm like, oh, man, this is crazy. I'll pause it or stop the whole thing completely. And then I'll, I'll go do some writing or, I'll, you know, I'll go work out or something like that. Like, because I'm so excited about what's going to happen next. It gives me something to chew on. The other way that I use right. it is 
before, as I'm going through my day, there's a, there's a point in my day, Callan, where something comes up that bothers me. And I don't know why it bothers me. And so I write it down as a question in my cell phone. I put it in my calendar so I have to see it. And I, I put it in for the next day. I go, this thing bothers me. I don't know what it is. Let's look at that a little deeper. And what happens is, is that it no longer then bothers me because I've, I've, I've put it, I've scheduled it. I put it down in the universe and I've, I can, I can function and do other things because I know at some point I'm going to give it the time it deserves and it stops a reoccurring process from happening. Um, <clears throat> Do you say that, have, say that last part again? Say that last part again. I want to make sure I, I, I digest so, that properly. So, so for instance, I give you, I give you an example. I uh, I was up late one night and I was I was eating and then I went to bed late and so the next day I woke up and uh, I was angry with myself because I had to get up early next morning. And get some work done. I had like a 12-hour day. It was like one of those crazy days. And yeah. I had to look at myself and say, there's no reason I should be upset or tired because I had enough time to get to bed. What the hell prevented me from going to bed on time? Like, why mm-hmm. did I stay up late? Like, what was mm-hmm. that? Like, what, what, what was I so excited about? What was what, what's that, I, that I've, I risked my entire 12-hour day of productivity for? And when I looked at it, I was like, mm. you, you did it for television? for So you could watch a show? And so you could eat a, a, a what you call it or like whatever it was, right? And so when yeah, I wrote yeah. it down and I looked at it, I never forgot that feeling. I was so ang- Like sometimes I do something and it makes me sad or ashamed or guilty. But that morning, I was angry. And mm-hmm. that anger propels like this this will never happen again. I'll, I'll never stay up late for television or for a snack or, or whatever it is. But I had to write it down to look at it, to remind myself that it was something that I wanted to work on. And we can't have because we very easily forget the our mistakes. Right. It's so easy Correct. to forget. Like you go, oh, I can't believe I did this again. But it's because mm-hmm. we didn't write it down and we didn't get feedback. That's the importance of having a coach or a therapist to have somebody uh, or, or just even journaling so you can go back and look through your old journals to see, oh, man, I keep repeating well, this pattern. Yeah, because because it seems that we all have a default, right? So you, you, you can try to break your default and break your patterns. But sometimes like after two months, man. One little thing can bring you right back to where you were. You see this in relationships all the time. A friend of mine, a friend of mine's always getting going back into the same pattern in relationships. He's always gets all love, it's all love, and then it's just crazy volatility. And then and then he finds women that are the same way. And so, you know, no matter what, people are having the same relationship over and over and over again, even though they they choose different human beings to do it. Right? So or, or they fall into the same habit of sabot- they, they sabotage something like a good relationship the same way. What is that? How, how do we break that? I've not been so impressed with therapy. I've seen people in therapy for years and, and, and really in earnest, and I haven't seen changes with it. I'm not saying therapy can't work. 
I'm just not very I'm not I'm not very impressed with talk therapy from my from my my angle, from my position. I just haven't seen it produce the kind of results I would need, you know, um, maybe I'm maybe I'm being unfair, but I've been alive long enough to see how it's see it not work a lot or see it not work a whole lot more than it has worked. Yeah. Yeah. You're, you so. know what? And and you're so right about uh, when I talk to people who've been a couples therapy, uh, it doesn't it, it hasn't worked even individual therapy. And part of it is when, when I talk to people, especially in couples therapy, uh, who've been a couples therapy about why they even got married in the first place? They got married on faulty ground, mm. so it didn't. So mm. it didn't matter what was going to happen. Like I remember, I was on a cruise ship, and this woman got a divorce, and I was like, "Why'd you get a divorce?" And and she was like, "Well, he cheated." And I go, "Okay, that's a, a easy uh, statement to make. Well, why did he cheat?" Um, well, he traveled a lot. All right, why did he travel a lot? Because he wanted to make money, the house, blah blah blah. And then uh, I go, why did you get married uh, in the first place? And she goes, well, I was lonely. Okay, <laughs> well, the, <laughs> what did you what did you think the outcome was going to be? Now, can can it work off that foundation? Absolutely, in some cases. But what are the chances of it working if you're going in with, I was lonely? I wanted somebody to fill the gap because loneliness, by the way, as we both know, Callan, is, is a part of the human condition. It's not something mm. that we overcome. It's not something that we get rid of. It's not something oh, yeah. we go for a walk and we surround ourselves. We have eight kids and we get married and we have a, like it's part of yeah. the human condition. So if you don't it, figure it out how to live with it by yourself, it, somebody else is not going to fix that hole for you. That, that's right. I mean, my, my, my son was saying, I'm bored. And my friend looked at him and said, well, I'm an adult. I'm bored all the time. So just get used to it. And I, I, something else that I thought was interesting was uh, to, to your point about loneliness or whatever emotion you're going through, you know, you're going to go through. it. I don't care who you are. Hegan Machado, who is um, probably in many ways, one of the greatest jujitsu masters ever. He, he had, I think, 350 jujitsu matches and never lost. He, he's just uh, and he was also an innovator. And he's you know, he's a guy who if you're lucky enough to train with, you know, he's, he's, he's just incredible. But I was with him recently and, and there was a, a friend of his was having a very, a very hard time with a breakup, very heartbroken. And he said to this person that they were sort of like saying, I'm, I, I'm so I can't do anything. I feel like I'm just so upset. I want to you know, I don't know what to do. And he said, it's okay. Right now, it's just, it's smoke. And it's hard to breathe in smoke. It's very hard to breathe in smoke. But I promise you this, just like smoke, it will clear. And you will be able to breathe again. You have to just wait for the smoke to clear. But you are in the smoke right now. And it's kind of a cool way to look at it because it's true. No matter what you're going through, man. You, you just have to sometimes sit in that smoke and, and cough and, and, and deal with it because it's, it's, there's really not, there's nothing else you can do. Sometimes you, you fuck up so badly, you're so embarrassed, you got to just feel that shit. Sometimes you, you, you screw up so badly and you lose something precious. You just got to, you just got to deal with those consequences. You didn't mean to drive drunk, but you got caught and now you're in jail. You got to sit there. It's going to get better when you get out, but it, 
there does seem to be something about not only recognizing loneliness, whatever it is, desperation, heartbreak, but 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 also, you know, just just instead of trying to push it away, keying it in, getting interested in it, observing it, witnessing it, feeling it even deeper than than you would normally. See what that does. That for me has helped me. It's helped me with my urges too. It's helped me when I want to go back to my 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 unhelpful behaviors. When I when I want to do that, I sit with it, man, and I go through it in my head, and I and I and I kind of try to I try to interpret it as raw data. I try to feel what's actually physiologically going on with my body, and I get very interested in it. It's kind of a meditation technique, but but it's very very helpful. Instead of trying to create a bunch of noise to distract it. I try to get familiar with it and build a relationship with it. I fail, but I do better than I would otherwise. So Wow, that's powerful, man. I love that you you talked about getting familiar with your feelings versus uh, being distracted by them or numbing out to your feelings. Because I know you mm. you 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 have two kids, you just went through a, a divorce. Can you, mm-hmm. as much as you want to share, uh, what led to the divorce and how are you getting through it? And am I asking this because we are in the, in the middle of a, 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 a pandemic, which is COVID and the quarantine. And statistically mm. speaking, across the world, there uh, is going to be an increase and has been an increase in other countries in divorce rates. And a lot of people mm-hmm. are, are, are transitioning from being married to, to being single, and, and they don't know how to cope with it. And a lot of people end their lives because their whole identity yeah. is wrapped into being a husband, into being a, a father, and, and, into the, and into their routine. And, and now they're out by themselves because, you know, as men, as we get older, we, we, t- we typically don't build more friendships and more social connections. So now sure. that we're out of the marriage we're we're floundering out there by ourselves and and trying to figure out uh we're trying to we're searching for new anchors and a new well, tether so what, yes, what was that transition older, the danger yeah. the, the, as you get older the danger is is uh, defining yourself too 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 deeply too specifically my god be careful how you define yourself be careful be care everybody has things they're proud of everybody has things they're ashamed of be careful identifying too strongly with labels and what you're proud of. I promise you that's, that's where peril lies. Sometimes, by the way, you don't have to define yourself at all. How's that sound? Hey, man, look, I got, I got my strong convictions. You start talking about socialism and I'll panic because I start defending my father, who's a capitalist. But I don't need to do that, man. I'd rather just try to say to you or you know somebody I disagree with, I'd rather say, hey, man, let's, let's agree on what the problem is, and then let's try to solve the problem. Let's borrow each other's ideas. Let's try to do that. So, so, so that's the first thing I'll say about, about that. But in, in terms of my divorce and what led to it, it's funny when you ask me that because I thought to myself, it's a little bit like asking me what, what caused World War II. Because I'd have, and, and by the way, we had a very amicable breakup. Not initially, but we're, 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 we get along famously now. But, but to, to ask me why I got divorced, it's like, wh- wh- why did World War II happen? Well, young man, 
We have to go back to World War One, and but really we have to go back to to uh, a number of treaties way before that and the Austro-Hungarian Empire, and we have to go back to why that happened. And we, I mean, how far do we want to go back, right? How far do we want to go back? And I and I think that that the, the, the nutshell, the, the, without getting too detailed, I'd love to get detailed, but for my wife's, my ex-wife's sake, I can't. But but but. Um, I, I bear most of the blame and most of the brunt. I, I was never really present and, 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 or as a husband and frankly, as a father, I wasn't as present as I could be. And I'm a slow learner. I've been wrong far more than I've been right. I'm always humbled by how limited I am and frankly, how dumb I am about things. And I'm not trying to be, uh, this is not lip service. It's it's depressing when I think about how blind I have been and am to so many goddamn things, including the people in front of me. And I had somebody I know very well say to me recently, you know, dude, you think deeply about the big subjects and you let them consume you. The big philosophical questions, the big ideas, and you're always reading and immersing yourself in the best that's been thought and said in philosophy, etc., and you love to talk about that and pontificate. But the problem with thinking that big and thinking out there is you miss the people who are right in front of you. You miss the people that need you and that rely on you and that love you who are looking at you and are right in front of you. And, and that, was, that was a bummer to hear. But my God, they were right. They were so right. And, and you know, I'm 53 years old, man. It's it's pretty sad that I'm learning that now and wrestling with that now. That that I have a lot of guilt. Now, it's never too late. I think I'm a pretty damn good father right now. I think I'm a pretty damn good ex-husband and partner in raising my children right now because I've made it a priority because I'm terrified of regret and I'm terrified my kids won't like me. and I'm terrified of losing a relationship with them now that I don't wake up with them a lot of the days of the week. You know, I didn't grow up that way. My parents stuck it out, but I screwed up for the most part. My wife got fed up. She got fed up with, with, with the selfish comic and a whole bunch of other shit, by the way. So I guess, I guess that's probably pretty, pretty much what I would say about that. And, and, you know, it's again something I have to go through. I don't know how to learn. I don't know how. I've never learned any way but the hard way. I swear to God, I've never learned any way but the hard way. I just haven't. And maybe there is no other way to learn. I don't know. So, was there something in the the transition? First of all, thank you for sharing that. That's very valuable for a lot of people because I think a lot of times when people divorce, we they, we spend a lot of time blaming the other side for what's happened and we don't take accountability for how we showed up or our part in it. And, and that's whether we're talking about divorce or a job loss or, or even in our emotional state and, and how we feel in, in the current climate. Um, how and nobody teaches you how to have a relationship. Nobody teaches you how to take care of somebody quote unquote emotionally. Nobody teaches you things like, you know, um, uh, hearing somebody first, listening to somebody first, acknowledging their feelings, and then moving from there. We're always taught to try to win, to try to, especially men, to try to win with logic, 
to, to try to say you're not making sense. Here's why. That's not it's it's like the same thing with like, like I, OK, would it help if I walked into a protest and said, guys, I have some stats you should look at. I know I'm I'm a white dude, never had to deal with this, but um, policing's actually gotten better. And there's a, and I went through a bunch of stats. Do you think that's going to help right now? No, that's not what it's about. It's about something like these protests are you you you. There's an argument for everything. There are facts and stats for everything. But sometimes it's time for an emotional catharsis. Sometimes it's time to shut up or at least at least be humble enough to witness, to bear witness the same way you bear you bear witness to your own fears and emotions. I'm sorry to interrupt. You were going to say something. No, I'm, I'm glad you brought that up because you, you talked earlier about, you know, getting familiar with your emotions and, and you talked about, uh, you know, spending time with it. Like, what does that look like on a, on a practical level? Because for most people, most people, most of us, it's challenging to sit with our emotions, whether they're good or, you know, quote unquote bad. How, how, what's your practice hmm. for that? Well, I try to think about how I define myself. It goes back to that. I, I um, have always been terrified of being vulnerable. I've always been terrified of being bullied. I've always been terrified of not being able to punch back. Right. And so I, I took a look at that. I took a look at the amount of work I do trying to stay safe, trying to build armor. I don't know where that comes from. Maybe my chaotic childhood, maybe whatever. I don't know. It doesn't matter. But I try to, I try to look at, at sort of why I hold so dearly to the idea that I can answer back if pushed. I can answer back if someone tries to physically accost me. But that's, a, that's, a, that's, not, that's artificial. It's not true, first of all. I can't. I don't care how many black belts. I don't care how much I train. I don't care how many guns I own. I don't care how, how many, if I have a police dog at my side at all times. You too many flanks to cover, man. I'm writing about this in my, my new special. There are too many flanks to cover. You, you, you got a well and solar and a bunch of and a huge thick door and a bunch of guns. What happens when your kid gets some terminal disease? Or what happens when you get hit by a car because you were looking the other way? What happens when COVID-19 comes takes your 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 father away from you. I mean, there's too many ways. You, we are just way too vulnerable to actually be under the illusion that we can protect ourselves from all things. For fuck's sake, even the Garden of Eden had a snake in it. Even the Garden of Eden had danger and the potential for apocalypse. So that's the Garden of Eden. And you're trying to fortify your house. Good luck. And 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 so, maybe for me, I started to realize that trying to define myself along those lines is a fool's errand. Trying to be successful at masculinity, oh Christ, being emotionally impoverished, always having the right answer, being hard and ready to go, learning how to shoot straight and punch hard. Well, you know. That might be like being on a stationary bike trying to get somewhere. I'm probably on a hamster wheel. So get honest with what you honestly revere and why. And, and be humble enough to realize that it may all be horseshit anyway. You know? 
I found it very comforting when I heard a philosopher say that we are limited creatures and, and, and accept that. I do accept it now. I do accept that I'm very easy to kill. <laughs> you know, I love that you, you talked about, uh, you know, get, get clear on what you revere. One time we had a conversation about, you know, what's the one word we want to define our lives by? And I don't know if this still holds true for you, but at the time you said momentum. And oh, for me, shit. it's been mobility. Like I always want to feel like uh, I can uh, go wherever, do whatever. I can adapt to whatever the environment is. And hmm. So that's what that what that mobility means for me. So when I, you know, when this COVID thing hit, I was ready for it because I'm able to train and coach my clients online. I have mobility. I can be anywhere in the world and do it. I can do stand up, not anywhere in the world, but I am taking Spanish right now. So at some point. I will be able to do stand up anywhere in the world. So everything that I, I, I do, that. I, I think yeah. about mobility. Can I go anywhere in the world, hot, cold, uh, Asian, Spanish, English, hood, suburbs, you know, uh, ghetto, high rise. Like I want, I want the mobile, I want to be able to exist in, in all, you know, I want, I want to, I want to be, I want to be in all genres, you know? Well, you're, you're a nomad. You're, you're a nomad, but, 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 but let me ask you this. Is it mobility or is it something else? Because mobility sounds as though it's mo mobility is motivated by something else. What's the first mover? Mobility might be the second ball that's hit, but what's the first ball that rolls? Well, well, if we're, we're, we want to get deep on this, Callan, I mean, if you're trying to get down to the nuts, if you're trying to get below always, the iceberg, you know, you, you're trying gone. to see what's up under there, what's, what's taking the Titanic down, then, then we're talking about trust. I don't, I don't oh. trust anything. I, every, yep. You know, the, the only thing that is um, constant is change. So... When I'm in a comfortable situation, I know that this too will change. When, when I'm in a, a good relationship, you know, my girl, my girl, like she'll tell me she loves me. And I always respond back with sometimes because oh, you shit. don't always love me. You know, she'll be like, oh, well, you're you, the best. And I'm like, sometimes, sometimes. Yeah, I, yeah, you know, you, you never, I, one thing I noticed about you as long as I've known you is you've never had, you've never asked for anything. You don't ask anybody for anything. And you don't even want you definitely don't want favors or you don't want it i've noticed that you have this you've always had this sort of wall up about any kind of intimacy i guess i have the same issues by the way so i maybe i can recognize it but you 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 have it pretty pretty strong that way i, I it's almost like you probably had your heart broken when you were very young when you tried to trust and you were definitely when you were younger I know something about your childhood. You had to solve the problems. It was up to you. You didn't have anybody else you could really rely on. Your mother, as great as she was, was so busy trying to get you, just get you, get you guys, keep the roof over the head and uh, over your head and, and food on the table, et cetera. Right. Uh, so, yeah. Yeah. I got, I got trusted. My, my father was in and out of my life. My mom was always working. The mm -hmm. cops were shady. Uh, not yep. all of them. There was, I had some, I had some run-ins with the law. Uh, my the school system, like, like on, on every level, there's been a uh, broken trust. So I learned at a very early age, you know, I saw my mom who worked at a job for like 30 or 40 years or whatever. 
uh, lose her job one day. And I was like, all right, well, working a nine to five isn't uh, uh, stay is not safe, is not stable. So I, I, I made my I remember I was nine years old and I was like, oh, oh that's that's dumb. I'm never going to get a, a, a nine to five. Uh, so mm. I at a very mm. early age was aware that I had to be self-sufficient because the people and systems around me, uh, no matter how fortified they seemed, uh, would crumble. So uh, no matter who the president is, you know, like when we when we have our current president, people are all up in arms. But I'm always expecting a catastrophe. I'm always I'm always like <laughs> stuff's going to go down. So it was interesting. I was telling my girl this the other day. I was like, why you and I have been boys for so long is because we are fueled by the same thing, but we approach it differently. Where like you're trying to cover your flanks uh, physically. You're like, you know, I got I got to train. I got a box jujitsu. I, I got to read books and stuff like that. Where I'm, I want to be that. You, you told us a story about a Buddhist monk, and it's better when you tell it. But I want to be able to. I want to remain calm no matter what happens. Well, because because I know it's coming. Story, yeah, yeah, that's a famous story of the the great the great uh, shogun who came riding in with his ronin into the Japanese village, and the Japanese knew in the in the village when he was riding, everybody was to leave the village. And leave all the food and everything for their his men, because if anybody was was disrespectful enough to actually be in the village and not give his vil- the village over to his men on as they passed through, they would be they'd have their head cut off. And the Buddhist monk who was there refused to leave, and they pleaded with him. The, the villager said, "He will kill you." And he said, "I'm not leaving." And he's sitting in the middle of the road, and when the shogun come riding up with his ronin, with his samurai, uh, you know, army. And he looked at this, this Buddhist monk meditating, sitting cross-legged in the middle of the road. And he said, do you not know who I am? I am the man who can cut you into a hundred pieces without batting an eye. <laughs> and the Buddhist monk looked up at him and said, and I am the one who can be cut into a hundred pieces without batting an eye. <laughs> Right, so I want to be—I want to be the monk, and you want to be the shogun. No, I want to be the monk too. I want to be the monk, but the the monk—the monk has more courage. The monk is a bad motherfucker. I mean, like I—I showed my friend who had never seen it. I showed my friend the monks that 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 had lit themselves on fire in to protest the Vietnam War in Vietnam, and they did it in front of the American embassy. I mean, and and they were surrounded by their fellow monks, and what was what's just beyond belief and really makes you understand and believe that they are, these people understand something we don't is that that man said his prayers, went into a deep state of meditation, had poured, you know, kerosene or alcohol, all over gasoline, all over his body and then lit himself on fire and didn't make a sound just burned Apparently some air left his lungs and he just fell over and his fellow monks bowed to him. Well, you know, that was, that was what, was that 1968? Do the math. I'm still talking about it. I'm still astonished by it. I'm still ashamed of it, of me. I'm still ashamed. I'm still awed by his power and his courage. Uh, you know, so there, there's something very powerful about that stuff. We all want to do that. Think about the people we revere. They never lifted a gun, 
Martin Luther King, Malcolm X, um, uh, Gandhi, Mohandas K. Gandhi, uh, Jesus Christ. These are the people that essentially died. You know, they just died. Um, they never lifted. They, they, they didn't even lift their own hands to defend themselves. Yeah, we was... kind of revere those people more than Napoleon and Alexander the Great and Genghis Khan who took over the world. All right, dude. Strong men tend to leave a legacy of ashes. You know, whereas people, the great spiritual and moral thinkers of our time somehow leave something maybe not materialistic, but certainly something that we can build material on. And I, 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 I think that's something that we can all learn from, you know. Absolutely, man. I, I, I'm glad you brought up the, the, the Malcolm X's and, and uh, Martin Luther King's and the Gandhi's. Because what was fascinating about those guys is uh, on some level, because this is a, a suicide prevention podcast and people are like, you guys haven't talked about on some level that Martin Luther King, when he was young, he, he attempted suicide a couple times uh, after mm-hmm. his father passed away. Uh, Malcolm X put a gun to his head one time and it played Russian roulette. And, and Gandhi, I, I believe, had, had an attempt when, when he was younger. I, I don't quote me on Gandhi, but I believe that that is uh, correct. But but the point is is that and Leo, so many... Leo, I would go ahead. Leo, I stick to your point, but I want to piggyback that statement. Okay. And most religious thinkers, leaders, most philosophical um, leaders who changed the way we think and live went through a crisis of some kind like that as well, an existential crisis where they almost took their lives. Uh, virtually, Joseph Campbell did a study on virtually every shaman. Of, of any any culture, medicine men, holy men, all went through some kind of a nervous breakdown, a suicidal uh, breakdown in their teens or in their twenties. Uh, and and they but they had a society that allowed them, helped them through it, helped them kind of go through it like it was smoke, knowing that the smoke would clear. Absolutely, man. So, in, in Lincoln's book, uh, the the melancholy of uh, Abraham Lincoln, I think it's called. Uh, a, you know, yeah. he attempted a, a numerous times. He yes. was often seen walking off into the woods with a gun in his hand, and it was his friends who sequestered him and 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 bound him in a room uh, until he calmed down for a couple of days. And then, man, he was uh, mm. and he shared. He was open and honest about his tendencies, about his melancholy, about his depression. About and and he struggled with it all through his life, and so I, I bring it up to, to to listeners out there that it's it's not about solving and, and fixing whatever's going on with you. It's about learning how to breathe in the smoke. Yeah, man, and build a relationship with this pain, build a relationship with uh, with the snake when it finds its way. Well, you know, what's fascinated me about you, Callan, is uh, as prolific as you are, uh, your father, uh, you got TV shows, a lot of specials. Uh, you, you, you're a very disciplined man. I've never seen you uh, overindulge. Like, you, you have a drink. You don't have drinks. And, and even the drink that you have, you don't really finish. Uh, and, you know, I like, like I'm see, and, and is what I mean. Like I'm the opposite where I don't drink because I can't 
have a drink. If, mm. if, if I drink, I want I want 10 drinks. I don't want a drink. I want to finish the bottle. I want to finish all. <laughs> the, I want to finish everything. Uh, I don't right. I don't want one girl. I want all the girls. I want every single chick <laughs> up in the club. Right. I, I well, my girl, my, as I'm saying that, my girl's looking at me right now. She's like, what? Uh, babe, this quarantine, don't, don't worry. The quarantine is, is taking care of everything. Metaphor, uh, <laughs> speaking I'm speaking, I'm speaking in metaphors. But, uh, yeah. so I, I, I recognize that it's like, you know, in, in AA, they talk about one is too many. And, and I, yeah. and I know that for me, but you're a guy who seems to have learned to, uh, dabble and, and not overindulge. Dabble's not really the word I want to use. Can you talk to us like where did that like is that is that from your father is that you is that something is that an intentional thing It comes it probably comes from my faith in the idea that there's something much bigger than I am out there and I'm responsible to it so maybe it comes from having grown up in the developing world my whole life until I was 14 but I guess I feel as though I am incredibly fortunate you pick up a history book, you will see how incredibly fortunate I am to be alive in this country, born to those parents, born with this complexion, um, this sex, uh, born in this time. I mean, I could very easily have been op- opened my eyes and been born on the Ebola River in the Congo to a mother in a grass hut or in, um, God, I don't know, anywhere else, anywhere else, in a, in a farm in northern China or the Gobi Desert or in Mali, Africa. But I wasn't. And so what am I going to do with that opportunity? What am I going to do? Fuck off? Get drunk and high and not realize my potential? Not, not try to bring to the fore in high relief what I can see in my mind's eye? I, I, am I not going to try to be in the business of original self-expression? Am I going, not going to try to do something original that makes people feel maybe more alive or at least laugh because that's my job, because that's my wiring, because that's what, in my opinion, I was put on the earth to do? I get to do that. I get to write. I get to think. I get to immerse myself. I get to express myself with absolutely no censorship because I'm alive at this very unique time in history. And I feel very, I would, I always feel terribly guilty that I'm not making even more of it. So I don't have time to drink. I don't have time to do cocaine. I want to do all the blow. I don't, I got to wake up in the morning, man. I don't have time for any of those vices because I'm afraid. And I do a joke about this, but I'm serious. I'm afraid when I die, God's going to be up there with my, my entire life on one piece of paper, looking at me with that same expression on his face. My father used to have when he'd get my report card. I don't want that. I didn't have good grades. I want him smiling and saying, well done. I put you on the earth to do that, and you did it. Because anything short of that is a sin. Uh, that that might be how I feel. You, you talk. So, ab- Go ahead. Yeah. No, that's it. You, you talk about you know because you have to wake up and you have stuff to do. What is your morning routine? 
You know, um, it's not as disciplined as it should be. I start with coffee. I, I work out every day, but I try to work on a skill. I try to box or I try to do jujitsu. And then I, I, I'll lift weights with a guy who, who kills me for 20 minutes. But I, I, don't, I don't get crazy. What you put in your mouth, how you eat is probably more important. Um, I try to keep my vanity in check. I'm not going to, at 53, I'm not going on testosterone and human growth hormone or any of that shit. I just try to, I try to, I try to, I'm going to quote Socrates, a philosopher should treat his biology and his body with a quiet contempt. You just, I just, I just get to a point where I get my body to a point where it's not in the way, where I'm not feeling stiff and tight and weird. So I don't want my body to be in the way. I don't want it to be a distraction for the work at hand. And then I probably start by taking inventory of how I feel emotionally and why. And then I, then I go into whether or not there's something funny in that. And so I, I start writing. I don't necessarily put pen to paper, I try to take all fencing around or off the, 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 the arena called writing. I try to make writing my life. And then I go about my day. I usually have the podcast and I have things like that to do. Yeah. I but if you see me pacing in my house and, and cleaning, I'm writing. I'm probably writing or at least worrying about not writing. I have a lot of worrying to do. A lot of worrying. I do a lot of worrying and I do a lot of waking up in the middle of the night full of anxiety over shit that's not going to happen. So, yeah. There, there is power in, uh, you're absolutely right. I wake up, I do a similar thing and, and, and moving my body, getting the blood circulating. And then, and, and, yeah. and then like, I like to sit. Usually I actually like to write first because, especially during this quarantine, my dreams have been so vivid. I want to write those down and, and, and try to unpack those and then get into some uh, mobility work. Uh, and then as I'm moving around, it also allows me to think about what I just wrote down. And, and then I come back to writing, blah, 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 blah. But uh, I wanted to ask you, because one of the books you have always recommended to a lot of people, especially men, is The Hero's Journey. And yeah. the reason why I want to understand you're, you're thinking about why that book is so important is... Uh, a lot of people are on a journey and they don't realize it's that what they're going through, they think they're the only ones going through it, which it, which it brings up feelings of being alone and isolated and disconnected and, and, and feeling like a burden. But can you talk to us about what is the hero's journey and how does the hero accomplish? How is he able to accomplish what he's able to accomplish at the end? Like, what are those things it takes well, you're, you're talking about the old motifs. You're talking about Joseph Campbell now. And in fact, Jordan Peterson talks a little bit about this as well um, in, in 12, I think, Rules for Life. You know, it's the old story. It's the story of the resurrection, too. You know, the boy, the boy has to, it's the Spartan, the st story of the Spartan. The boy has to go out into the wilderness or into the, into the dungeon and fight the dragon and come back a man, right? It's that transformation. It's that thing. I think that resonates more probably with men because it was written for men. I, I, I can't speak to women on this, but let's just um, – I, I love Joseph Campbell also mainly because he was a, a, a scholar of both the Western and the Eastern mythologies. And he was probably the best ever to draw comparisons and differences between the two. And I found that enormously helpful in terms of um, – 
how how story how important story is for us as human beings and so rather than go into why the hero's journey is so important because i don't want to get too esoteric and too uh, out there let me let me say that every hero everybody you admired all, all of them i don't care who it is all of them suffered self-doubt self-loathing tremendous fear and sometimes on a daily basis and i would suggest that the difference between them and everybody else was they learned how to talk to themselves and they learned how what not to say to themselves and they learned what to say to themselves and one of the great things about being a human being and one of the great things about reaching where you want to get to is that you can imagine your best self. You can imagine your best self. And, and your best self is, um, th- there's a story. When you, when you watch great movies, the reason they resonate with you is because you see yourself in that character. You see your best self in that character. Not the, not the guy who can't stop eating ice cream or the, or the gal that can't stop you know, smoking weed every morning, whatever it is. You see, that, you see those heroes, those people that are really willing to sort of die young and leave a good-looking corpse but come through it anyway, whatever it is. The, the, the people that, that, that stand up to the fire and to the hurricane and keep telling the truth no matter what. Those are the people, and that's who you are. So if you can imagine your best self, and you can, everyone listening can, I promise you, you can reach it. I promise you, you can touch it. I promise you, you can. I've been alive a long time. I know that's true. I've seen it with my own eyes, and I felt it with my own, in my own breast, you know? So I'm speaking a bit dramatically here, but I, I really mean that. I, I think that's the whole point of... of the human animal's ability to imagine perfection, to imagine the ultimate good. We are bipolar apes, capable of doing terrible things, but also capable of doing things of great majesty, things that make you believe in God. If not, then explain to me the Moonlight Sonata, Shakespeare, you know, or all the great music and all the great movies and all the great art that we stay alive for. Why do you think that, why do you, what do you think inspiration is? Inspiration is the only time the human animal stops thinking about being uh, a biological machine. When you get an amazing idea or when you listen to music that makes you want to cry or sing along, or you watch a movie that makes you want to laugh and cry, you forget for a while that you're a human being. You forget you need to sleep. You forget, you forget about sex. You forget about hunger. You forget about everything. It takes you somewhere else. So it takes you closer, I guess, to God. And for all you atheists out there, it takes you somewhere closer. It, 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 it takes you to a state you seem to want to remain in, whatever that is. And somehow that feels so fucking good. Somehow we know that that's the highest good. We all do. And we spend our life trying to, trying to 
chase it. And it's more than just a sensation. It's more than just a biological apathetic sensation. It's something else. And the reason I say it's something else is because it's impossible to measure. It's impossible to hold on to. It's impossible to bottle. But that is, that is what the hero's journey is, to keep trying to create that in your own life and for other people. I think heroes are heroes because they are of service always. They put themselves last. They always put themselves last. Our heroes demonstrated that they were more than just viscera, more than just appetite, that they were willing to die for what? An ideal, die for a higher good. You really think Malcolm X didn't believe when he said, I won't live long enough to, to read my own biography? Uh, so too MLK, so too Gandhi, so too Christ, so too all these people that we talk about? How about people that give their entire life for one cause, trying to make the world a better place? You know, trying to unlock the secrets of the universe like Einstein. Einstein wasn't, he didn't have time to worry about his fucking hair. Blah, blah, blah. But this doesn't mean these people weren't flawed. Look, the, the, the people that wrote the Constitution and the Bill of Rights, one of the greatest, probably the greatest idea in philosophy ever, the, 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 doc, the document that solved the political problem, I would argue, to the fucking cows come home. A lot of them own slaves. But what's fascinating about those guys is you can separate the slave owner from his work. Of course you can. Because the people, the marginalized of this country, including African-Americans, use those very principles, those very principles to emancipate themselves and continue to because they are irrefutable. You can't argue that. And justice for all, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness for all, all men are created equal. You can't, that's what you can, the, the Judeo-Christian notion that we are all of the same moral worth, that's why we, are, we pray to a monotheistic God because we're all brothers and sisters, all children of the same father. That's the point of monotheism. So uh, sometimes I start talking and I don't even know what the fuck I'm, where I'm going, but that's what I'm talking about. Man, I, I love it. You, you have a, a little boy and a girl. How old are they? 12 and eight. 12 and eight. Are there lessons you're trying to, that you want to instill in your son that are maybe different than your daughter? And what are they, if so? Man, that's a good question, brother. That's a good question. Um, look, there's a limit. The, the terrible thing, Khalil Gibran said, your children come through you, not from you. And, and the truth is, there's probably very little you can do as a father to influence how they ultimately turn out. I hate to say it. The human will is strong. And children, somehow, if you have them, you know that they roll their eyes at you. They don't listen to you. But I try to instill the, the importance of daily attendance to anything you want to get good at. Practice. I try to instill the idea that they are, they are not to take themselves too seriously. That they are to have a sense of humor about the world and themselves. And then I try to instill 
the idea that their will is not the only thing that matters, that they're always going to have to push up against other will and that they should get used to being considerate and kind. And that's all I know how to do. And I'm probably failing at all of it, much to my the frustration of any parent, you know. So I don't know. We'll see, man. We shall see. This whole fucking thing is a verb. <laughs> and I'm and I'm always I'm, it's one continuous mistake, but we'll see what happens. I love it, brother. And in the last question, man, why well, I, I have two more questions. One question is, is there anything that we we haven't talked about that you feel like would be a benefit to people who are struggling with mental health issues or struggling with relationship issues or. Uh, or just nuggets or a little insight, something you picked up and you're just like, oh, man, I can't believe it took me so long to, to, to learn this or figure this out. Look, man, if you're, if you're lost, if you're bored, get good at something. I don't care what it is. Try to get good at a language. And by language, I mean everything is a language. Getting a black belt in jiu-jitsu is a language, okay? Playing the guitar is a language. Learn how to learn a language well enough so you can watch a movie and understand it. Set those goals for yourself. Broaden your understanding. And you will, if you really want to know who you are and you're lost, get good at something. Try to get good at something. And I promise you, you'll get a better understanding of who you are. You'll connect to a community and a family. And you'll be proud of yourself. And you'll set a good example for the people that love you. So I always say, just get good. I don't care what it is. And I don't care if you're terrified. One step at a time. Just take a small step, man. Take a small step, please. And you can learn anything on YouTube. Can't afford guitar lessons? Well, YouTube. Can't afford jujitsu? Get your buddy. Get a mat off Amazon. YouTube. You know, whatever it is, YouTube. And I, I promise you, man, learn how to salsa dance. You're lonely. You want to find a woman and you're a man. Well, learn how to salsa dance well. Can't afford lessons? YouTube. Listen. Learn how to dance. Learn how to dance. Nobody dances enough. Learn how to dance in the smoke. (laughs) Yeah, brother. (laughs) I've I've been to clubs like that in uh, Mexico. There's a lot of smoke. Last question, Callan. Yeah. I always imagine there's one person listening in who may be on the precipice of ending their life. Before you kill yourself, what would you say to them? Let me uh, tell a story. I don't want to presume I understand what you're going through. I knew a guy who reached out to me and said, I felt like I was in a sauna and it was getting so hot. And the difference is in a sauna, you have a door to get out of but I didn't have a door. So I can imagine despair being that overwhelming. I would say that Viktor Frankl in his book, Man's Search for Meaning, said when he was going to kill himself, when he found out his, his wife had been killed, I think in Auschwitz, and he was only staying alive for her, and he was gonna run and throw himself on the electrified fence, he stopped and said, wait a minute, If I can survive this, if I can suffer this well, 
well, if I can suffer this with some dignity, it'll be a huge accomplishment. It'll be my biggest accomplishment. And that's worth everything. That's worth everything. Because if you can do that, if you can do that, you can save other people's lives. You will make a difference and you will come out of it different. I promise. Because it's impossible not to. I would say that you are face to face with the dragon. And you're in the underworld. And if you can just stand and let the smoke clear and let it pass and cough and realize that this is fucking hell, but that you can suffer this well, even if you're coughing and snotting and everything else, I would say that that is worth more than anything anybody or worth as much as anything anybody has ever done. Because you'll be an example and you'll come out of it with deep wisdom and be of service where it is desperately needed. Yeah. Callan, so, thank you so much, brother. Yeah. I appreciate it. Uh, where can the people find you, man? I know you're doing three, three fighter, fight, fighter and the kids a week now. And yeah. what else you got going on? Kid, I'll be I'll be in Arizona, but those tickets are sold out. I'm in San Antonio. If you're in San Antonio, come out and see me June 25th, 26th, 27th at LOL Comedy Club. You and I have done that club, Leo. Um, when, in fact, you and I did it when there were locusts everywhere. I don't know if you remember the biblical <laughs> rain of locusts that hit us when we were on stage. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We got to hit the road, too. I don't know. Are you doing the road, Leo? Are you doing, what are you doing? Yeah, man. I mean, well, not, you know, not with this quarantine, but uh, yeah, I, was, yeah. I was doing the road. I was doing, uh, I was actually doing a lot more corporate and uh, cruise ship gigs. But, uh, but yeah, man, hit me up with some dates, man, and whenever. All right. All right, brother. I will. Thanks for having me on. Thanks, thanks for ha- thanks for being on, Callan. Thank you, for listeners, for listening in. Remember, this podcast is not a substitute for you going to get help. Call the one eight hundred suicide number, or you can go to thrivewithleo.com for one on one coaching with yours truly. Let's get to tomorrow together. All right, Callan. Thank you, brother.